chapter 12. 2 Kings chapter 12. And tonight we're going to look at three types of faith. And the title of the message is Focusing on Faith. I think if something we're going to look for this new year, faith should be one of those things. It's like, you know, I want to be a person of faith, a woman of faith, a man of faith. By the way, you saw that earthquake in, in Japan this uh, New Year's Day. It was you see some of the pictures that's coming out of there? This, wow. You know, one thing is, you just say you praise the Lord that you're not in that mess. But anyway, it was some of, some of the videos, and it's just, wow. But anyway, okay. Chapter 12, and let's look at verse... By the way, if you remember, pray for those people in Japan. You know, there's probably a lot of damage there, and it's kind of sad. But let's look at verse uh, chapter 12 and verse 1. And it says, In the seventh year of Jehu, Jehoash, Jehoash began to reign, and forty years reigned he in Jerusalem, and his mother's name was Zebiah. Zabiah of Beersheba, and Jehoash did that which was right in the sight of the Lord all his days, wherein Jehoiadad the priest instructed him. But the high places were not taken away. The people still sacrificed and burned incense in the high places. Shall we pray, Heavenly Father? Thank you, Lord, for this passage of Scripture. As we look at chapter 12 and chapter 13 tonight, Lord, I just pray, Father, give me the words to teach. Lord, teach me as I teach as well. Give us something we can take home, we can learn from your word. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Well, who's doing the journey through the Bible reading this year? You are? You are too? I, I decided I'm going to read 10 chapters every day. <laughs> so far, so good. I... I I, I read, uh, where am I? I read three chapters, three times. So today is, yeah, tomorrow is the fourth. So I'm in Genesis chapter 30. <laughs> Actually, I jumped to 31. So it's been a blessing. Uh, I don't know if I'm going to keep, if I can maintain that speed, but that was my, you know, I want to do that. <laughs> so. Some people do it differently. Some people jump from one place. Some people like to read a few psalms. I like to read it right through it. You know, just start it and just read it through it. Then when I get back, then when I, usually when I finish my Bible, then I, 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 I don't stop reading my Bible. What I do, I just read whatever the Lord lays in my heart. I might read a portion of a book. I might read a chapter here, a chapter there. And it's just a different personal study. But I do read my Bible. But this year... The Lord just put on my heart just 10 chapters a day. So, Lord, I'm committed. I don't know how long I'm going to keep doing it. <laughs> but anyway, uh, it's a big task. Some days, you know, can be difficult. But anyway. Uh, okay, so tonight we're going to look in and we're going to focusing on faith. 
You know, faith is a, one of the biggest ingredients of the Christian life because without faith is what? Impossible to please Him. So we Christians are to live by faith. The life of the Christian is a life of faith. When things don't make sense, we are told to step by faith. We have to walk by faith. And, you know, and sometimes life doesn't make sense at all. But still, that faith that sustains us, that moves us, that keeps on going, that's that faith that we are told to do so, is a vital ingredient of the Christian life, is a life of faith. So, it is a well-known principle that what a person believes ultimately determine how a person behaves. You get that? That's a well-known fact, that whatever a person believes determines how a person behaves. For an example, Eve believed the devil's lie that she, she, she wouldn't die. She ate the forbidden fruit and she eventually did what? Died. You see, she believed she did not. Uh, there was a, a story, not a story, actually this was true fact. There was two friends and they went on the top of a building, you know, one of those flat roof buildings. And this was a little high building. And one said to the other one, don't you know that gravity is losing its power? And the other one said, never heard of that. She said, I've been reading about it. And she said, well, uh, I think I might test it. I said, well, and the other one, the other friend goes, the building is right there. If you walk to the other side, you might be able to test see if gravity is still in full force. What you believe determines how you are going to behave. But she didn't step out. You probably said she stepped out. No, she didn't step out. She had a little, a little brains in there, you know, because gravity is still gravity and still pulling you down. Okay, so but anyway, uh, Eve believed the devil's lie and that she wouldn't die. And she ate the forbidden fruit, but she eventually died. So with his eyes wide open, Adam believed he should imitate his wife. So he took the fruit and ate it. And he plunged the whole entire human race into that. When we believe the truth, God works for us. When we believe a lie, the devil works against us. So when our Lord was tempted by Satan, he countered Satan's lies with God's truth and said, it is written. It is written. The three kings represented in this chapter, these two chapters we're going to read tonight, illustrate three different kinds of faith. None of which is, is the kind of God's people... Uh, should have today anyway. So let's look at the fate of these three kings from several points tonight. I want to see about, we're going to, the subject is faith. We are to live by faith. We are to walk by faith. We are to stand by faith as Christians. The Christian life is a life of faith. Even though it doesn't make sense, we still trust the Lord by faith because without faith it's impossible to please Him. But tonight we're going to look at this first king and we're going to see what happened when you conform to the rule. Folks, this happened to a lot of people, okay? People conform to the rule until they have power to make their own decisions. Then what happens? Then the truth comes out, all right? So this first king, we're going to see a shallow fate, a shallow fate. 
And if you look there at verse 1 again, look what it says. In the seventh year of Jehu, Jehoash began to reign, and 40 years reigned he in Jerusalem, and his mother's name was Zebiah of Bathsheba. And Jehoash did that which was right. Look what it says. He did that which is right in the sight of the Lord all his days, wherein Jehoiada the priest instructed him. You got a little clue here? But the high places were not taken away. The people still sacrificed and burned incense in the high places. He, was, he, he did what was right in the sight of the Lord, but one thing he didn't take out, the high places. Okay? So we see a shallow faith. Shallow faith is not anything new for us believers. Shallow faith is something that was very that was very uh, uh, notable in the life of the Jewish people when they traveled from Egypt to the promised land. Shallow faith was something very noticeable to the ages in the life of the Jewish people all the way to the time of Jesus. Shallow faith is something very noticeable in the lives of many Christians through the ages to this very day. Some people have solid rock faith. It don't matter what you do. It don't matter what life brings. It don't matter what circumstances. It don't matter if they're bleeding. It don't matter if they're hurting. That faith does not move. It's solid. But some people have shallow faith. Their roots are not deep. They waver from side to side. They listen to everything and everybody. And they always make a mess out of everything. And they hurt themselves most of it. Because of shallow faith. The Jewish people were people like that. They left Egypt and all the way to the promised land, their faith was very shallow. Always complaining, always complaining. When they didn't have what they want, always keep doing the same thing to get what they want. And they're always criticizing, always criticizing the Moses and all the people in leadership, even God. Because of their faith. A lack of faith, shallow faith. So the Jewish people were people like that. But even today, today, there are many Christians who have shallow faith. So shallow faith dominate, dominates the life of many believers today. Now, King Joash became king at a very early age. If you remember the last time we talked about, we had Bible study, we talked about this young king was, in, in, you know, what happened here. So we see the line of David is very narrow to nothing. And this kid right here is, becomes king at an early age. There is a godly priest right here, which is behind the scenes taking care of him. So as he grew up, so did the quality and quantity of his faith. Let me put it this way, folks. Okay, our faith either grows to be solid, rock, steady on the Lord, or our faith never grows. It's just shallow, weak. Listen, I'll be honest with you. I cannot make your faith grow. You have to want for yourself. You know, you know, one of my, listen, I don't like to do, uh, New Year's resolutions, because to me, statistics is statistics. I don't care about New Year's resolutions. But I like to make goals for myself. I don't know if you do that. Usually, if I make a goal, I stick with it. I mean, I remember making a goal to change my diet, and to today, I still do it. It's not like it's a diet. It's a way of life. It's what I eat. But I made a goal this year. I want to get closer to my 
Savior. I want to know him more than I ever did before. You know what? And to do that, I have to grow in my faith. I have to spend more time with him. I have to pray more, talk with him more, read his word more, talk about him more, so it can grow. But I can I only can do it for me. I can help you, but I cannot make you grow in your faith. Okay, so... Um, but as, as he grew, so did, I'm sorry, I go to the statement that I did, the quality and quantity of his faith. In this parable about the, uh, of, uh, about the sower in Matthew 13, uh, verse 1 to 9, and Matthew 18, 23, Jesus explained that from a spiritual viewpoint, there are four kinds of hearts, and they respond to the seed of the word in four different ways. We know this passage, right? When the heart, the hard heart hear the word, the seed can't get in it, so Satan snatches it out because the soil is too hard and the seed has no way to penetrate. Okay? A shallow heart, people receive the word but provide no room for it to take root. So the, the roots grow up, grow up, but don't last. A plant can't grow and bear fruit if it doesn't have roots. It's got to have roots. Those with crowded hearts receive the seed, but the shoots are smothered by the weeds that shout, uh, that, that should have been pulled pull up. So the, the person with the heart that bears fruit is honest, repented, understands the word, and embraces by faith. When it comes to his own personal faith, King Joash had a shallow heart. Let, you know, I'm going to tell you why. And, and you probably say, well, but he did everything with the, the, according to the Lord. Well, there was, he did it because he was compromising. But we're going to see this over here. And, and listen, the danger of compromise, it does not please the Lord. If all we do is compromise to appease others or to make others look how good and spiritual we are, we are lying to ourselves and God is seeing who we are. You follow what I'm saying here? Our faith's got to be genuine, strong, hard in the Lord no matter what. Okay, so... Let's look at Lord A. We see a willing obedience. Look at verse 2. And Joash did that which was right in the sight of the Lord all his days, wherein Je Jehoiada the priest instructed him. You see, as long as the priest was instructing him, he was obeying. Joash had, was only seven years old when he ascended to the throne of Judah, and he had a long reign of 40 years. It's obvious that a seven-year-old child can't rule a nation. We know that. Like the president we have right now, he can't rule anything either. So, so, the, highest, so the high priest Jehoiada was his tutor and mentor. So we have one right now that somebody's behind the scenes running the nation, you know, because I, I personally don't believe he is. But let's pray for him, okay? And this young kid, seven years old, I don't think he could, I don't think he could rule I don't think he could rule the nation of Israel at seven years old. What do you want to do at seven years at seven years old? You just want to play, or go go sit in the in, in the throne there and put the crown down. And you look at him; he's upside down playing around with the crown, you know, like it's a toy. And he's seven years old. But anyway, <laughs> so when the king was ready for marriage, it was Jehoiada who picked out his two wives. Now both David and Solomon had gotten themselves in a lot of trouble because they married so many women. So here we read of the high priest limited this, this young man of two wives. 
Another important fact here is that it was important for Joash to rebuild the family of David, for the house of David was almost destroyed by different people, uh, Jehoham, Jehu, and the uh, 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 Arab, uh, Arab, I'm sorry, invaders, and Queen Ataliah. We see, read all about these people. And the only thing Joash and Jehoiada did, uh, didn't do is remove the high places in Judah, the local shrines where the people worship, worship the Lord. So, they were supposed to go to the temple to worship the Lord, Deuteronomy chapter 12. But during the, the dark days of Ataliah's reign, the temple had been ignored and even allowed to decay. However, Joash and Jehoiada would lead the people in repairing the temple so they had a fine place of worshiping the Lord. So the godly people of Judah must have rejoiced that, you know, in that an obedient descendant of David was sitting on the throne. What they, did, what they didn't know is that Joash's faith was shallow. And as, he, as he, old, he got older, we began to see that. So get this, Joash was an excellent follower to Jehoiada, but not a good leader. Let me put it this way. There are people who, are, who make wise, great decisions as long as they are under somebody else's leadership. If they this, go to the place of leadership, they don't know how to lead. Doesn't mean that they're not that smart and intelligent. I'm not saying that. But you got what I'm saying here? Some people just don't have that skill of leadership. They don't have that gift. They can lead and they can actually be, be a great uh, uh, uh Great people to help the person in leadership, but then themselves be leaders, they just can't because they don't have that gift. And this man right here was not one of them. So Jehoiada died and Joash went his own way and disobeyed the Lord. We're going to see that. When let it be, we see personal struggles. It was clear to the people of Judah that Jehoiada was the power behind the throne and, it, and this probably gave them a feeling of security. Looking at a young little a young king, they knew the priest was the one taking care of, of, of the country. They knew the priest was behind that. But at this young, this young king, as this young king matures and experience, began to experience, he must have been frustrated by his arrangement. One example. Think about foot. Okay. All right. You had teenagers in your home at one time? Okay. And when teenagers get to be a little older, what they do? They begin to learn to get, get a little smart. They begin to put the input. So they begin to talk with you. They begin to share their ideas. So think about this, this guy as a king, and he began to grow, and you have a priest behind him running the nation. Well, when he got to be to a certain age, you think that some things he didn't like, he wanted to do his own ways? Only if we were there, right? It is never easy, let me tell you, for a parent to lose the cords of restriction, freedom towards their kids. After all, knowing that there are many wolves in the world who are wanting to devour our precious kids, isn't it? I think every parent go to that. Every parent hold that cord and say, you're not going anywhere. I'm going to hold you here. Our parents did the same thing to us. But that's the way it is. You know, you know, they want that freedom. They want to flee. I think this guy right here, he comes to a point he wants to make his own decisions too. So I don't think 
that it was easy to mentor a young king with such power and know just when to loosen and, and, and restrain him. So parents know this from raising their own children to adults. Perhaps Jehoiada was too tight and it was not leaning, letting go of the cord of restriction accordingly. Maybe he just knew that the king Joash, uh, Jeho, uh, Je, I'm sorry, Jehoash, um, where was I? Was too immature to take to take total control, and he was not willing to gradually hand the responsibilities over him. So, on the other hand, perhaps Jehoiada held the reins longer because he saw weakness in the king's character and wanted to give him time to correct them. Maybe it was just a, genera uh, a generational problem here. We don't know. But we know something. There was some struggle going on here. Whenever the cause, the king decided it was time to set free from the rule of the Jewish priesthood and to begin to assert his authority. He chose to re uh, the repairing of the temple and his focus points for freedom here. Now, no doubt, Joash and Jehoiada had discussed the need of repairing the temple, but for some reason, the high priest wasn't enthusiastic enough to get things started. Old age, maybe, we don't know, maybe a factor. We don't know how old uh, Jehoiada was here and uh, how old the king was here. It was, uh, but one thing for sure is here, well, we're going to read in this, in this passage right here in a little bit, but it's interesting here, we see um, in verse 4 to verse 16, actually, let's look a couple of verses right here from verse 4. Look what it says. And Jehoiada, Jehoiash said to the priest, all the money of the dedicated things that is brought into the house of the Lord, even the money of everyone that passes the account, the money that every man is set up, and all the money that comes into any man's heart to bring into the house of the Lord. Let the priest take it to them, every man of his acquaintance, and let them repair the breaches of the house, whithersoever any breach shall be found. And it was so that in the three and twenty years of King Jehoash, Jehoash, the priest had not repaired the, the, uh, the breaches of the house. Then King uh, Jehoash called for Jehoiada the priest and the other priests and said unto them, Why repay ye not the breaches of the house? Now therefore receive no more money of your acquaintance, but deliver it to the breaches of the house. You know what he's saying right here to them? You guys get nothing more. All the money is going to go to repair the house of the Lord. And the priests consent to receive no more money of the temple, neither to repair the, uh, no more, uh, I'm sorry, to receive no more money of the temple to repair the breaches of the house. But Jehoiada the priest took a chest and bored a hole in the lid of it and set it beside the altar on the right side of, as one commented to the house of the Lord and the priest that, that capped the door, but therein all the money that was brought into the house of the Lord. And it was so that they saw that there were, uh, was much money in the chest that the king's scribe and the, and the high priest came up and they put it in the bags and told the money and told the money that was found in the house of the Lord. So we see right here the struggle that goes, the, the, the verse 9 when it says, but Jehoiada right there. It was some struggle going on in there. Because now it was not him making the decision, it was the, um, the new king that was making the decision. Well, let me, I'm going to give a couple of things right here. 
So the workers were so honest and faithful that nobody kept record of the income or expense or year. They just went through it. They want to do that. Let me put it this way. Believers today know that the Lord doesn't live in the church building. We know that, right? Or any other kind of building. But it doesn't mean that it is wrong to dedicate structures to the service of, uh, of the Lord and for His glory. The early church didn't have their own buildings, but they met in homes uh, in, in an accessible public places as well. And it, was, it wasn't until the 4th century that the Lord permitted them to construct and meet in their own buildings. Some of the saints today, some people today, some Christians today, oppose church buildings and say they were, they were a waste of money, of God's money, while, other are most, are most worship their, um, while others are most worship their buildings and get their priorities confused. So my question to you tonight is this. Is that a waste of money, make the house of the Lord presentable? I mean, the king was... Ask the question to those priests, why the house of the Lord is in total disrepair? Why don't we repair it? And he took drastic measurements and said, no more money for you. We're just going to repair the house of the Lord. And they had, if they like it or not, they had no say in it. He just made that decision. For us today as Christians, should we just, ah! Or is that right what we do by cleaning, by making the house by the house of the Lord presentable, the place where we meet. Because the building does not make a church. The people make the church, right? I mean, we can meet outside and go and get a, a lawnmower, cut the grass, clean everything up, and everything looks nice and fresh, right? But is that wrong what we do? Is that wrong to buy seats? Is that wrong to have heat? Is that wrong to decorate? Is that wrong to, make a, to get a new carpet? Is that wrong to make the house of the Lord presentable? Or is that right? Okay, a preacher friend of mine <laughs> went to preach in a church in the Midwest. And when he got in the church, he said, I was taken back how bad the church looked. The church looked so bad that I began to preach to the assistant pastor and told him, shame on you and the congregation how bad your church looks. You guys should have the house of the Lord presentable, cleaned up, not garbage all over the place, not look like a, 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 a place that, that I don't even want to be here. Then he said, and I turned to the assistant pastor and he said to him, so what do you guys do? There's a people that doesn't give money to the house of the Lord. What are you guys doing? And the, 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 uh, the assistant pastor said, oh, we send the money overseas to our missionaries. They need it more than we do. Then this pastor, friend of mine said, do you want me to explain what the missionaries do with the money that you send them? They fix their churches. And he said, if your light shine bright here, will shine brighter over there. So, some people think it's wrong for us to have buildings. Some people, and they say they're Christians, they say... It's wrong for us to meet in buildings and spend all kinds of money in buildings. Solomon's temple was beautiful, wasn't it? And they built a second temple. It was beautiful. And guess what? And they're going to build another temple. Obviously, there's something to it. I think that, this is me, 
the place where we meet should be a presentable place. And we give a testimony to those who come in that we love the Lord. And because we love the Lord, we do those things in, God, in, in Jesus' name. Okay. If somebody comes to, our, from our, to, grab, to get food for our food pantry, right? And we give them food. Do we give them rotten food? We don't. We give them the best we have. Why? Because we give them in Jesus' name. So we meet in the house of the Lord. We make the, whole, the house of the Lord presentable. In a, and in a way that people come in and say, Oh, may they praise the Lord with their oh. Okay? Let it be. Let it be. No, let us see. I'm sorry. Forsaking the truth. Verse 15 and 16 is saying, Jehoiada waxed old and was full of days when he died. That's Jehoiada the priest. And 130 years old was he when he died. 130 years old. Am I going to live that long? <laughs> and they buried him in the city of David among the kings because he had done good in Israel, both towards God and towards his house. So Jehoiada died at the advance of, of age, 130 and he was so beloved by the people that he was buried with the kings. Second Chronicles chapter 24, verse 15 and 16. But when Jehoiada passed off the scene, King uh, Jehoiada showed his true colors and abandoned his faith. His apostasy was in the fault of Jehoiada, for the high priest had faithfully uh, taught him the scriptures. The problem was Je uh, Jehoiada. I mean, Jehosh, Je 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 I mean, I'm making a mistake in this name. Jehoash, Jehoash, okay, Jehoash. You visit, uh, uh, here is the one who was just going along with the motions. Let me tell you this way, for an example. Okay, you raise your kids. You teach them the word of God. You teach them the word of God. You take them to church. When they grow older, they leave. Is that your fault? Don't blame yourself, please. Because they make their own decisions. You might be an adult and you say, I don't agree with my kids' decisions. You have the right to say that. If you know they're wrong, well, this young king right here, he does everything right as long as that priest lives. As soon as he passes out of the scene, now he's going to do his own things. You see, the high priest had taught him the truth of God's word. He had stood at Joash's side and he learned how to govern the people. But the king had never taken the truth into his heart and allowed it to take root in there. The soil of his heart was shallow and he had obeyed God's law only because his mentor was watching. He just had a form of godliness, but when the opportunity came, the truth came to the surface. He even took wealth from the, the very temple he had required and gave it to the, to the pagan king for, for ransom. So Joash is, warning, is a warning to us. It, it isn't enough, enough simply to know God's truth. We must obey His truth from the heart. If we want to commute with God... We have to obey Him from the heart and open our hearts to Him. Look what it says in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 6. 
not with eye service as men pleasers, but as the servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. And verse 7 says, with good will, doing service as to the Lord, not as unto men. The, tru the truth is in the mind can lead to obedience, but truth in the heart and obedience from the heart would produce godly character. You see, if what we do is eye service and men service and try to please others so we can look good in the eyes of others, we're not pleasing God. We're not pleasing God. God wants us to please Him from the heart. Let me give you some examples here. A godly wife dies, and the widow in the drops out of church and starts a to live a worldly life. Sons and daughters go off to college and 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 gradually leave the faith because um, father and mother aren't there to counsel and warn them. Well known some. I well know some high-profile Christian leaders who use their children in their ministry, but when the children were on their own, they, they turned their backs on their parents and the Lord. What happened here, folks? Did the did did people failed? No, they did not. People make decisions. Did the parents make a mistake? No. We must keep in mind that our kids grow up to be adults, and as they, they become adults, they want to make their own decisions. And sometimes their decisions is not what we want them to do. They make decisions that we say, I never thought you that. Why are you choosing that route? It's not us choosing for them. Because if we choose for them, we know what we're going to choose, right? But what can we do? We pray for them because we don't want them to go the wrong way. But this one, we let them go. One, we open the door. And one, they walk out. And one, they're going to make those decisions by themselves. That's when we see the, really the nature and how strong is their faith to the Lord. Because now they go places you don't go. They're going to talk with people you don't talk. They go doing all kinds of things. You're not there. I'm talking about you. I'm doing it with my own kids too. What happened here, the high priest moves out of the place. And this young king is now making his own decisions. I mean, if you ask me, you say, do you agree with everything your kids do? I'll tell you right out, no. If I had to make their decisions, uh, uh, if I can do, I'd I, I make many decisions for them that they would not agree with me, but I think it would be best for them. I think as a parent, you're probably saying the same thing. Folks, let me put it this way. A good beginning is no guarantee of a good ending. King jo uh, Josiah, I mean, Jehoiah, I'm sorry, who is this king? Jehoiash, okay, or whatever the name is had godly people around him who were of a great encouragement to, ha to have uh, uh, to, for him to become a, a godly man, but he didn't take advantage of uh, his opportunities by, by taking God's truth into his heart. 
When the Lord sent prophets to warn him, he refused to listen. When he even plowed with the leaders to have Zechariah, the son of Jehoiada, stoned to death because he rebuked the king for, for, for his sins. You see right here is the thing. is You can have the best teachers. You can have the best preaching. You can have all that. And in the end, guess what? You and I are the one who make our decisions. The message can go like this. Up here. Because we can say, yes, Lord. We can say, no, Lord. We can make our own decisions. We can talk to our kids until tomorrow and talk and talk and talk. And they look straight at you. And you think they're listening to you. And they're not. That happens to all of us, folks. Okay. Letter D. We see personal chastisement personal chastisement and the king of judah became an idolater and a murderer the lord began to discipline him first he brought the prophets to warn uh, uh jehoash and he, and, he, and he wouldn't listen and he brought judah's longtime enemy syria against judah and jehoash was severely wounded in battle here he finally robbed the temple and bribed hazel uh, not to attack israel However, Jehoash didn't recover from his wounds for two of his officials murdered him because he had ordered the death of Zechariah, the son of Jehoiada. So we see right here what happened after this. It keeps going and going. So we see a shallow fate. That's the first king. Number two, we see a crisis fate. Go to chapter 13. We go to chapter 13 and it says, In a tree... In 20 year of Joash, the son of Hazziah, king of Judah, uh, Jehoash, the son of Jehu, began to reign in, in, in Israel, in Samaria, and reigned 17, 70, 17, 17 years. And he did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord, and, and followed the sins of Je, Je, uh, Je, Jeroboam, the son of Nabat, which made Israel descend either Padanah, Therefrom, and the anger of the Lord was kindred against Israel, and he delivered them into the hand of Ahazel, king of Syria, into the hand of Benadad, the son of Hazel, in all his days. Now the focus moves from Judah to Israel, and the reign and the reign of Jehu, the son of Jehoash, right here. It's not surprised that he chose Jeroboam as a model because his father had done the same thing. You know, like father, like son sometimes. And that's what we see right here. So, so first we see a shallow faith. What happened to a shallow faith? A shallow faith is a, that type of faith that never really trusts God. It's a form of godliness. It's just a surface thing. It doesn't have deep roots to say, my faith is solid rock and I'm not going anywhere. Now we have a crisis faith right here. So the people of Israel shouldn't have been surprised when the Lord brought the Syrians against them because the people knew the terms of the covenant God had made with them before they entered in the land of Canaan. Remember, Israel was a covenant people. And listen, there was never God that broke his covenant with his people. It was always the people that broke the covenant with God. And let me tell you, same thing with us. God is always faithful. We the ones that stop being faithful. 
you see, it would cause them to fall because of the enemies. So people still believe Satan's lie today, don't they? He shall not surely die. Do whatever you enjoy, says the enemy, because there are no serious consequences to sin. Just be you. But whether to chasten or to blast, God's always true to his word. The situation became so painfully desperate that the king right here cried out to God for help just the way Israel had done during the period of the judges here. So God in his mercy heard and answered the king's prayer and promised to send a deliverer, but only after Jehoash was off the scene. Hazel died and his son and successor uh, Benadad was a weaker ruler, so it was possible for someone to break the iron gr uh, grip of Syria uh, to Israel, on, on Israel. Did the promised blasting of God change the king? Apparently not. For he didn't remove the idols from the land, nor did he encourage the people to return to the Lord. Christ's faith is really deep or lasting. Once people see hope of deliverance, and, they, and their pain eases up. They forget the Lord and return to their old ways until their next crisis. You know, there are people like that. There are people like that. There are Christians, and, and it caught your heart to see that. I've been a Christian long enough to see those things, and I see it happen all the time. There is a crisis in the family. Everybody goes to church. Everybody's in the house of the Lord. Bing, 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 bing. When things get better, everybody disappears. It's only faith when there's a crisis. When the crisis moves, I don't need God anymore. You see what I'm saying here? There is a shallow faith that's not deep rooted in the Word of God, but it's a crisis faith. You know, they come with this zeal, this, this fire for the Lord, and they come and they want to do everything. But they leave as fast as they came. They come with the, in a high-speed train, and they leave in the same high-speed train. And you say, what happened? Because they only have faith when it's hurting, because God, they want God to fix the here and now. If God fixed the here and now, they promise all kinds of things, but their faith is a crisis faith. It's not a faith that lasts. And if they go again, listen, the judges do the same thing. They did what they wanted to do, and they, they went through all kinds of stuff, and they pray, repent. When everything was settled down, back they went again. It was a cycle. And I believe me, folks, they are Christians. That's what they do. I'm not trying to put anybody down here. Believe me, and I'm trying to, trying to be unkind to anybody. But it's the thing. is what they do. When, it's, when it hurts, when life is hard, oh, let's go to the house of the Lord, and everybody marches right in. When everything is good, the other way they go. And that's what we see here. Number three. So we see a shallow faith, a crisis faith, and number three, we see ignorant faith. For some reason, the death of Joash is mentioned twice, once before the historian record, uh, uh, records his life in verses 12 and 13, and again at the end of the story in verse four, chapter 14, verse 15 and 16. And this great defeat of Amaziah, king of Judah, is also mentioned before is described. But the most important thing about uh, uh, Jehoash uh, was, the, was he had sense enough to visit the prophet Elijah 
and seek some blessings from him. Consider five facts about, about this right here. Letter A, it said he followed the wrong example. We see this from chapter 13, verse 10, all the way to verse 13. It said, in the 13th year, in the 30th and 7th year of Joash, king of Judah, began to uh, began Jehoash, Je Jehoash, the son of uh, Jehoash, the, the, to reign over Israel and Samaria and reign 16 years. And he did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord. And he departed not from the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nabat. You see, Jeroboam, you go years back. You know what? And this king comes in the scene and follows, he says, the Bible says, he did evil in the sight of the Lord continually. And it goes back, the same sins of this man. The same sins. You know, sometimes we have to be careful to who we want to pattern our life after. And this guy right here followed the wrong example. The example of a wicked man, and he follows him. And, and if you read through the Bible, through these, through these, these books, you see uh, 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 the son of Nabat shows up many times, many times as a comparison. The Bible compares people they, with their style of life, their sin, to the son of uh, Jeroboam, the son of Nabat. It keeps going back to that. And so, so we see that. Let it be, we see, he made a wise decision. Look at verse 14. Now Elijah was falling sick of a, sixth, of a sickness before he died. And Joash, the king of Israel, came down unto him and wept over his face and said, O oh, my father, my father, the chariot of Israel and the horsemen thereof. So we, we, we had heard about, uh, about Elijah since chapter 9 right here. When he sent one of the sons of the prophets to anoint Jehu to be king of Israel. This means that for 40 years of silence as far as the record is concerned. Yet Elijah was at work in the land of the Lord. And, and the Lord was with him. Now he was an old man about to die. And the king of Israel went to see him. Let's at least give uh, uh, this king some credit here. He did something good. It's a wise decision to go see the man of God. Let me put it this way. We see, we see Elijah right here in the end of his days still serving the Lord. Let me put it this way. When is right or when is time for us to retire from the Lord? You know, we're counting our days in the workplace. I am counting mine. You know, like... I'm glad in my days when I'm going to retire and, and leave there. <laughs> it's actually, we have two guys right now who are supposed to retire from my department this year. And I told them today, so, if the retirement comes, well, <laughs> I don't understand. I said, when I get my day, I'm leaving. I'm out of there. <laughs> I'm not going to hang around. What about the Lord? When, when is the right time to retire from serving the Lord? Is such a thing? Elijah right here, about to depart to heaven, still serving the Lord. You know, I put it like this, folks. This is me. I don't think I'm wrong. The Lord moves us from different faces of life. You might be doing this now, doing this now, doing this now, this now. But we can do so many things for the Lord, and the Lord can use us. Always in the service of the Lord. So faithful servants of God never retired, even though they may leave their lifelong vocation, and step back from public ministry. So even from his dead, dead bed, Elijah was serving the Lord and his people. 
So as long as God gives us strength and sanity, we should serve Him the best we can in whatever capacity He gives to us. How grateful I am for senior servants in this church right here. People, you could say, I've done it. You know what? I work hard, and it's still like coming to the house of the Lord and serve the Lord with, you can see, the joy and the gratitude of their heart. I know every time Nancy, I know she's watching me, she comes and she holds to this thing right here and sings a song. She doesn't know how much she blesses my heart. Because you know what? I see that, and I see myself someday in the same place, and they say, I can do that, sister. It is an encouragement to all of us, isn't it? We could stay home and say, oh, poor me. But we want to serve the Lord. You see, let us see, he made a great mistake. King Jehoash was not, not a man of faith, but he, he, could follow, he could follow directions. However, he lacked the spiritual discernment in, in sight the people have, who, lived in, uh, who lived in the word and walked by faith. When the prophet put his hands on the king's hands, he obviously symbolized uh, a covenant of power from God right here. So when Elijah commanded him to shout an arrow towards the area where the Syrians were in control, he clearly spoke of victory over the enemy. This, this much the king could have understood because Elijah gave him a clear promise of victory. Let's look at verse 15 and verse 19 so you know what I'm talking about. Okay? Look at verse 15. And it says, Moreover, they reckoned not with the man in whose hand they delivered the money to be bestowed on workmen, and they dealt... No, I'm sorry. I'm in the wrong, I'm in the wrong chapter. Uh, let's look at verse 15 of chapter 13. Okay, and Elijah said unto him, Take, take, uh, take uh, bow and arrows, and, and took unto him bow and arrows. And he said unto the king of Israel, of Israel, Put thine hand upon the bow, and, and, and he put his hands upon it. And Elijah put his hands upon the king's hand. And he said, Open the window eastward. And he opened. Then Elijah said, Shot. And he, he, then he shot, and he said, the arrow of the Lord's deliverance and the arrow of deliverance from, from Syria. For thou shalt smite the Syrians in Apac till thou have consumed them. And he said, Take the arrow. And he took them. And he said unto the king of Israel, Smite upon the ground. And he smote thrice and stayed. And the man of God was wroth with him and said, Thou shouldest had smitten five or six times. When, then uh, hasn't thou smitten uh, Syrian tell thou hast consumed whereas now thou shalt smite Syria but thrice. You see what's going on here? You see the faith? He made a mistake. Elijah wanted them to hit the ground more than three times. He only did three. And on those three, it was only three victories. If he did six, he had six victories over this, the Assyrians right here. It was a lack of faith. I think maybe he did not understand what the prophet tried to tell him. But he didn't follow the directions as well. You know what sometimes tell you, somebody tell you something and you don't have really a clue what to do? And, and you kind of look a little doubtful. And the person said, trust me. Do this. Trust me. Do all, do, do it with all you might. And when you do it, you're glad you did it? You ever been there? Or well, he didn't do it, but he was holding it back. And Elijah got upset with him. Let it be, he received a great encouragement. 
We see verse 20, verse 21. We just read these verses. But look, and actually we did. Look at that verse 20. It said, Elijah died and they buried him. And the bands of the Moabites invaded the land at the coming end of the year. And it came to pass as they were burying a man. That behold, they, they spied uh, a man, a band of men. And they cast the man into the sepulchre of Elijah. And when the man was let down and touched the bones of Elijah, he revived and stood I'm sorry, upon his feet. So when Elijah died, the king may have wondered if his promise died with him to encourage the king, the Lord, graciously perform a miracle after Elijah died so the Jews didn't embalm corpse as did the Egyptian in those days. They merely washed the body and wrapped in a clean cloth along the spices right here. So we see right here one, one day then when the, the Moabites, writers, uh, Kim here, we see that the, the, what the Lord have done right here. Let's go to letter E. He, he won the three victories. We just mentioned here in these verses, he could have won six victories, but he won three victories over the Assyrians right here. What we see right here, folks, we see the different types of faith. You know, I'm going to close with that tonight. But we see a faith right here. We go back a shallow fate, the first king. We see a fate that that a shallow fate was based on on until somebody was leading, and so, uh, uh, somebody would just compromise or just go along with it until the person had to make his own decisions. That true fate came to the surface. You know, our fate comes to the surface, or the the amount of our fate comes to the surface when we are tested. Do you follow that? When we are tasked, the quality and the quantity of our faith is shown in those tests. Could be a test of a financial test. It, can, it could be a, a, a health test. It could be all kinds of tests. But it shows up. Who do I trust? Me? The Lord? Well, we see the shallow faith right here. Not only the shallow faith we see, but the second faith that we, we see right here, is my point number? I mean, it is a crisis fate. There was a crisis fate that we saw right here in the second king that we look at it, and then we um, we saw ignorant fate as well. Then we come down to our number four or number three. That was an ignorant fate. I'm sorry, but I conclude with this tonight. We learn about three different types of fate: a shallow fate, crisis fate, ignorant fate. Folks, the Christian life is a life of faith. And always will be a life of faith. This great journey of life is and must be by faith. And in, in, in the one who created us. But the best faith of all is, let me tell you this, is solid rock faith. May we Christians continue to be faithful to God's promise and God's faithfulness to us. May we believe by faith in His Word, and by faith accept His Word to be part of our lives. You know, I believe that solid rock faith, that's the faith that all of us should have. A faith that doesn't waver, a faith that trusts God, even when nothing makes sense to us. You ever been there when life doesn't really make sense at all? You say, what am I heading? What am I doing? What kind of decision are you going to make? And you feel like you're in a, in a road with seven different ways and you don't know which way to go. But our faith 
I say, Lord, I have faith in you. I know that you're going to guide me. Solid rock faith. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, so much for tonight. The blessing of being in your house tonight. Thank you for this, these dear folks that stayed with me tonight in, in, the, in this Bible study. And just pray for each one of them tonight. Bless them. Bless their lives. And Lord, as we go to prayer, Lord, I just pray and open our hearts that we would pray to you and uh, the fellowship that follows as well. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Does anybody have a prayer request?